You're listening to Commute, the podcast. Congratulations, you'll be smarter when you get there. What up? Welcome into Commute, the podcast. I'm Dave. And I'm Jay. And we are about to take you on a deep dive on three topics that we find interesting, and we're betting that you might just find them interesting, too. We can promise you this, you'll be smarter when you get there. On this edition of Commute. When it comes to the traditional holiday meal that you share around a Christmas table, every family is different. But you still expect some common features like turkey or mashed potatoes or green beans. But what about fried chicken? Specifically, what about Kentucky fried chicken? Well, if you live in Japan, this may just be your Christmas tradition. The town of Whoville famously and successfully stopped the Grinch from stealing Christmas. Do you think now they can help us with these Grinch bots? What if I told you that you could rake in half a million dollars annually during the Christmas season and you don't even have to lift a finger? Well, if you write a successful Christmas hit, that could be a reality. All All of that on this edition of Commute. Let's get it. I was curious, like, how far you were going to take it, like... Were you going to hit them with the baby? I know like, all were you going to go all the way there? Yeah, I actually know all the words. All of the words? So you're I telling me... So you know every this. word of the verse. All the words. Every okay. single word. Well, we'll talk about that later. So Dave, tell me a little bit about your Christmas meal traditions. Do you kind of have like a sort of a typical kind of thing you follow on Christmas? Or does it kind of change from year to year what's that look like well i wish that we were one of those weird families that did like lasagna on christmas because i think that's kind of cool but we are very traditional it's the very traditional christmas dinner ham turkey mashed potatoes it's almost like thanksgiving again so you wouldn't necessarily say that you'd be open to having kentucky fried chicken on christmas so there are very few things i'm not open to having on christmas that would be one of them <laughs> well for millions of families in japan eating a family dinner of kfc is an annual Christmas tradition, one so ingrained in Japanese society that if you want to partake, you actually need to pre-order your chicken up to two months in advance in October <laughs> if you want to secure that bucket. Estimates put the number somewhere around 3.6 million people in Japan sit down to KFC on Christmas annually. So how did this tradition start? Well, it actually goes all the way back to 1974, just four years after the first KFC appeared in Japan. And the origin story here, it's kind of muddled, but the original spark originated in some way with the first KFC manager in Japan, a man named Takeshi Okawara. Okawara facing sluggish initial sales is said to have shifted the brand's marketing strategy in Japan to market KFC as a traditional American Christmas food to boost sales. Now, this, of course, isn't really true. Uh, People aren't necessarily lining up to buy KFC on Christmas in the United States. Uh, Traditional Western holiday meals tend to center around Turkey. But since Turkey is nearly impossible to find on the island nation of Japan, KFC was inserted as kind of like the next best thing. 
you also have to keep in mind the cultural context here. In the 1970s, in this post-World War II era, Western culture was extremely popular in Japan as the Japanese economy began taking off and rapid globalization meant that American products and stores were popping up everywhere in Japan. The KFC campaign was a major success, and Okawara, who would actually go on to get promoted to be the president and CEO of KFC Japan, had set off a national phenomenon. And what makes this tradition even more strange is that Christmas is traditionally like a Christian holiday, and only around 1% of the Japanese population identify as Christian. The vast majority identify as Shinto or Buddhist. Christmas isn't even a nationally recognized holiday in Japan. So then how did KFC come to dominate the season? The answer is that for decades, KFC has maintained a very strong and very consistent marketing strategy. For the last 20 years, all of KFC Japan's Christmas ads have used the same jingle, the iconic song, My Old Kentucky Home. And the ads, which have varied over the years, all share some common features as well. Families enjoying large feasts and luxurious homes help perpetuate the idea that a lavish and authentic Western Christmas included KFC, even if it wasn't necessarily a true Western tradition. And Colonel Sanders, as you know, we've talked about him on this podcast before, but he's taken on a new persona in Japan, sort of fusing with Santa into Colonel Santa, sort of a hybrid character of the two, meant to synonymize the idea of Christmas with the product of KFC. Now, during the rest of the year in Japan, as you would guess, KFC doesn't necessarily see the numbers that it does during the holiday season. Preparation for this chicken rush ramps up early, usually around July. About six weeks before Christmas, orders start arriving since about 40% of all Christmas time KFC orders are pre-orders. In fact, just between December 23rd and December 25th, get this, Dave, KFC Japan makes a third of their total yearly sales. Wow. <laughs> People oftentimes will line up for hours in front of a KFC to secure their Christmas feast on Christmas Day. And since the Christmas Kentucky dinner special, which comes with some sides and a cake and a salad, will typically set a buyer back about 5,000 yen, which equates to around 50 US dollars, we're talking big money for KFC. Typically, KFC Japan pulls in about 6.9 billion yen, which is roughly 63 million US dollars during these few days of the holiday season. And now that the phenomenon has reached these levels of family traditions, I don't expect that this trend will die down anytime soon. Uh, many other fast food chains, including McDonald's, have attempted to get in on KFC's corner of the holiday market in Japan, but Christmas diners largely have stayed loyal to KFC for decades. In fact, many young people in Japan who grew up with this tradition, they began passing it down to their own families in the modern era. So, Dave, I guess the question is this, a KFC on Christmas. Is it time to bring this tradition officially to the U.S.? Uh, I'm going to give that a hard no. Uh, Jay, you did mention, by the way, that we have talked about KFC in the past. So if you're interested in listening to our Colonel Sanders episode, that's episode 29 of Commute. But, Jay, I feel like the, the holiday pack that the Japanese folks get for their, their Christmas is probably very heavy on the famous KFC gravy. Like, I can, I can see a very large holiday-sized gravy that comes with this. It's, it really is like a genius marketing strategy, though, because the guy kind of put together 
like, hey, these people kind of like want to identify with this Western idea of Christmas. And the Western idea of Christmas includes turkey, but we can't have turkey. So like, let's sell them KFC. Jay, I will admit I have gotten better at it, but I am without a doubt a person that struggles with nostalgia. There are people, places, and things from my past that I have very emotional connections to. I don't take you, however, as a super nostalgic person. Am I correctly assessing you? Yeah, not necessarily. Also, there's like hoarder level nostalgia where you like really are going to miss this Mountain Dew bottle so you won't throw it away. Right. I'm not suggesting that. But but yeah, I just, and I'm not not insulting you by that. I think that you just can move on from things a lot easier than I. Yeah, I'd I'd say that's that's definitely uh, accurate. Yeah. Well, Well, like I mentioned, I am nostalgic. And if you're someone like me, the Christmas season is chock full of nostalgic situations. Whether it be the place you spend Christmas morning at, or what Christmas movies you watch and when, the holiday season is full of tradition and hence, nostalgia. But Jay, one thing I get strangely nostalgic for is the Sears Holiday Magazine. Are you familiar with this? (laughs) Well, you're going to have to work hard to find one of those at this point. (laughs) Well, they don't print them anymore. I mean, I, uh, yeah, no, I, I have memories of that. If you are of a certain age, the Sears Holiday Magazine was as much a part of your Christmas tradition as eggnog and watching Rudolph. Jay, the Sears Holiday Magazine, in all of its glory, ran from 1933 to 2011 and featured over 100 pages of pure holiday bliss for every kid. Yes, over 100 pages of toys. Jay, I'd circle the toys that Santa would never bring me and dream of owning my own arcade-style basketball game, which, yes, was in there, and yes, was very expensive. But, Jay, what's crazy in 2021 to think about is that before the Internet, that's how we ordered holiday gifts. Magazine ads, along with television commercials. That's how kids and adults alike learned about the things that we wanted for Christmas. And if we did place an order, instead of buying the item locally in a store in our hometown, it was over the phone. You see a toy train, you call a number, you buy the toy train. That's simple. There was very little friction in the Christmas present buying process in those days. Well, Jay, as the internet has changed the way we learn about items and ultimately buy them, new evil forces have emerged to keep us from buying that latest and greatest toy for our kids or for ourselves by buying all of an item before we get the chance. Jay, I am talking about Grinchbots. Grinchbots, obviously named after the legendary Christmas character, the Grinch, are retail-focused internet bots that buy up large quantities of items all at once. Everything from concert tickets to gaming consoles and even Tonka brand toy trucks. As soon as the item releases online, the Grinchbots scoop it up. The result is that legitimate customers either miss out on the opportunity to buy something altogether or are forced to pay much higher prices to get it from a third-party seller. Jay Grinchbots were in full force last year with the release of the PlayStation 5, scooping up all available consoles around the 2020 holiday season and reselling them for extremely inflated prices. And this practice is just getting worse and worse. 
According to the cybersecurity firm Imperva, last year, 2020, Grinch bots accounted for an unbelievable 25% of all website traffic. Man. You talked about nostalgia. You know, I'm nostalgic for the good old days where if I wanted a toy, I had to go fight another parent for it at Walmart. Yeah, I prefer to see my enemy face-to-face and for them to be human. (laughs) So, Jay, how can we stop these Grinch bots from inflicting their Grinchiness into the holiday season? Well, we probably can't. But the U.S. government has decided to at least try a new proposed law, neatly named the Stopping Grinch Bots Act, is aimed at outlawing the practice of Grinch bots. The proposal, which has actually been suggested twice previously, looks to build on the success of a similar measure passed in 2016 called the Better Online Ticket Sales Act that works to prevent bots from buying concert tickets in mass quantities and reselling them at inflated prices. Paul Tonko, a member of the House of Representatives from New York, one of the folks attached to the current bill proposal, thinks these Grinch bots are just bad news for everyone involved and thus wants this bill to pass. These bots don't just squeeze consumers. They pose a problem for small businesses, local retailers, and other entrepreneurs trying to ensure that they have the best items in stock for their customers, Tonka said. Our Grinch Bots Act works to level the playing field and prevent scalpers from sucking hardworking parents dry this holiday season. I urge my colleagues to join me in passing this legislation immediately to stop these Grinch Bots from stealing the holiday. So, Jay, the big question is this. Can tech ever fix tech? Can we ever come up with a way to stop the Grinch bots. Well, maybe, but as with most things, consistent regulation may be a long, long way away. And just like the actual Grinch, Jay, maybe this is more of a heart problem with the folks who, behind the curtain, are pulling the Grinch bot strings. Yeah, I mean, fighting this issue, we just have to go back to the original source material here. How did they stop the Grinch? They, you know, showed him the error of his ways and caused his heart to grow and accept Christmas. I think that's the only way you're going to fight uh, these types of forces at the end of the day. I thought you were going to say by singing. And typically <laughs> that does work. If you're trying to stop somebody from doing something evil, you just sing. Yeah, I mean, you know, you started with Where Mariah Carey. Where are you Christmas? Yep, there it is. Why is. can't <laughs> I find you? So Dave, what's your favorite Christmas song? Man, that is really hard for me to answer because I, I really like Christmas albums. Like Michael Bublé has a Christmas album that I actually really love. I really like the Christmas albums from uh, the band She and Him. Uh, so, so it's more the the Christmas, the version of the song than the song, if that makes sense. So you just like to put the album on and kind of let it roll. Yeah, yeah. Like my family and I grew up listening to a guy named Johnny Mathis's Christmas uh, album, which I think came out in maybe like the... 50s. He's on some skis on the front. Uh, if you've never listened to it, just look it up. Johnny Mathis. It's called Ski. It's I think called Skiing with yeah, Johnny. Skiing with Johnny. Um, Johnny Mathis has like a thousand albums, so it'll take forever to find it. But it's like his <laughs> oldest one. Like I think it was during maybe World War II when it came out. It's been forever. But great Christmas tunes. <laughs> well, you know, writing a Christmas song, it's kind of a unique endeavor for an artist. You know, if they're covering a Christmas song, it's a little bit different. They have to pay for the rights to do that. But writing a unique Christmas song uh, is is kind of tricky because um, you have to bring the song to the table. It has to catch on, and then it has to get played regularly for it to really be worth it. 
Uh, and so it has to hit in the right time, has to hit in the right way. But if you can pull it off, you could be pulling in some serious annual money. Uh, you know, every year we're haunted by the same core of Christmas songs, i.e. Mariah Carey's All I Want for Christmas is You. Insane. <laughs> right. <laughs> but have you ever stopped to think about how much money Mariah Carey is pulling in every time you hear it? Uh, you know, Christmas songs are what the music industry refers to as evergreen. You know, unlike a typical pop song, which will typically rotate through our culture for a lifespan of three to four months, Christmas songs resurface annually for commercials and on streaming services, and pop artists line up to pay top dollar to cover popular Christmas songs for their own albums every year. Many top-earning Christmas songs pull around the ballpark of half a million dollars every December or more. Uh, in 2020, for example, here were the top five earning Christmas songs, according to CelebrityNetWorth.com. Number five was Do They Know It's Christmas by Band-Aid, which made $130,000. Uh, number four was Last Christmas by Wham!, which made $500,000. Great <laughs> Number tune. three, That's All I Want for Christmas is You, Mariah Carey, which made $600,000. Number two, Fairy Tale of New York by The Pogues, which made $630,000. And finally, topping the list, Merry Christmas, Everybody by Slade, which made $840,000 last year. Now, if we're talking all-time earnings, the list gets even richer. Paul McCartney's Wonderful Christmas Time sits at number five with a lifetime earning of $40 million. Now, wow. I'm going to stop there and ask you this, Dave. Uh, what's your opinion of Paul McCartney's Wonderful Christmas Time? Because I found a couple things on the internet that said not only did they rank it as the worst Christmas song ever, but some places actually ranked it as the worst song of all time. Well, it's the most simple song maybe ever. <laughs> I mean, it's like somebody from elementary school wrote it. So I don't know if you know this, but before Paul McCartney and the Beatles reached the level of success that we know them for, they had signed some pretty bad record deals. Uh, in fact, their early records that got them famous only netted the songwriters like a really small fraction of money. And so in 1979, McCartney wrote Wonderful Christmas Time himself and recorded all the instrumentation. And so because of this, he <laughs> owns all the rights to the song and he rakes in a cool 400 to six to $600,000 every year from it. Wow. Uh, yeah, Mel Torm's The Christmas Song, which opens with the iconic line, chestnuts roasting on an open fire, comes in at number four, and it's brought in about $45 million through the life of the song. Uh, and Haven Gillespie and Fred Coote's Santa Claus is Coming to Town makes the list at number three, earning an estimated $50 million, and has been covered by Justin Bieber, Bruce Springsteen, and the aforementioned Mariah Carey. The number two spot is owned by Mariah Carey's All I Want for Christmas is You. There it is again which has brought upwards of $60 million since it was recorded in 1994. So it's good to be Mariah, right? And finally, topping the charts is Irving Berlin's White Christmas, which has made an estimated $65 million and currently holds the Guinness Book of World Records record for the best-selling single of all time. So while writing Christmas songs, it's tricky. Uh, there is still some potential big money there if you can nail the process and punch through into our culture's mainstream Christmas song rotation. Mental Floss put together a, a list of 11 Christmas songs that never really took off. And so I'm just going to give you some of the highlights on this. Okay, so these okay. are Christmas songs that actually exist, but you've probably never heard them because they just they didn't have the appeal of those songs that you were just talking about. 
Okay, so we've got a song called Don't Shoot Me Santa by a band that both of us like, The Killers, which is uh, about Santa kidnapping kids from the naughty list and uh, threatening to kill them. We've got Heavy Metal Christmas by Twisted Sister. We've got Kentucky Homemade Christmas by Kenny Rogers. That might be popular yeah, in Japan. Yeah, they might be popping that thing it. in Japan. We've got Cherry Cherry Christmas by Neil Diamond, which just sounds stupid. And then we've got my favorite one, All I Want for Christmas is a Real Good Tan by your boy Kenny Chesney. <laughs> you know, I thought at the beginning, before you read the list, that I'd be interested in listening to these songs. But now that you finished the list, I have zero interest still in listening <laughs> to any of those songs. And that's it. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. Don't forget to please rate, subscribe, and review to commute on Apple Podcasts or on your favorite podcast platform. Check us out. We're on social. We're on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And you can always say what up at our website, commutethepodcast.com. Music for Commute is provided by my main man, Jason Sammons. For Jay Sisson, I'm Dave Traub. We'll see you next week.